0: Visit us at Facebook.com slash Secure Freedom with Frank Gaffney.
1: We're back, and it is always a delight to be able to say we are joined by Ben Weingarten. He is a senior contributor at The Federalist, a terrific online resource, a columnist at Newsweek, Senior fellow of the London Center for Policy Research and a fellow also of the Claremont Institute, he's the author of American Ingrate, a book about Elon Omar and uh, the progressives taken over of the Democratic Party. Ben Weingarten, it's great to have you with us. Welcome back to Secure Freedom Radio,
0: Frank. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for that kind introduction.
1: You're welcome. When we last talked, i promised that we were going to visit with you about something you've written very powerfully about namely the phenomenon of woke capital um i want you to both you know sort of define the term as you uh, see fit but also describe specifically what you've called it's uh, deathly addiction to china and uh the sort of policy of engagement. We've talked with some of our previous guests today about it, uh, but I'm interested in your take on the role that big business is playing, and Wall Street in particular, in the United States promoting this very dangerous agenda towards China, it seems to me.
0: Sure. Well, the, the many decades long policy of engaging China was primarily focused on economic relations. And I've argued. And I haven't quite put it like this, but I've argued that the leading edge of China's influence operation in America and beyond is economic engagement. It is a way to create a relationship of sort of mutually assured destruction, a bear hug of sorts, where because our economy has become inextricably intertwined or close to it with the economy of Communist China, that prevents America from doing what's necessary to defend its interests, defend its sovereignty, and, of course, defend the national security of the American people. The greatest foreign agents, in effect, for the Chinese Communist Party in America are those in the business community, in the financial community, running the largest companies managing either the most money or massive multi-billion dollar, many billion dollar enterprises who all want to continue what they think is going to be a gravy train relationship with China, but which in fact has not proven to be so beneficial when you consider hundreds of billions of dollars in intellectual property theft on a yearly basis, it seems, according to government reporting on it. And of course, the fact that we have underwritten and provided the Chinese Communist Party with the technology to build it into our most formidable adversary. And so woke capital claims to care about social justice and the like, but is most addicted to a relationship with the regime, which runs gulags, Uyghur gulags, which has crushed Hong Kongers, which has no rule of law, no private property rights, no respect for the most basic fundamental liberties. And it shows that it's so-called adherence to social justice is an absolute fraud and essentially, our largest corporations try to buy absolution for their capitalist sins here, while at the same time, of course, doing business with the world's most regressive regime. And the last point that I'll very briefly make on this is that Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary, has in multiple interviews recently said it's imperative that America increase economic engagement with communist China to kind of cool temperatures, cool the heads on both sides. That is absolute insanity. It is insanity defined. That is exactly what communist China has used to become our most formidable adversary over the last several decades. Doing the same thing over and over again is not only insane, but it's suicidal ultimately.
1: And Ben, you know, you mentioned um, individual companies um, and folks who run them, uh, but you also have had interest groups like the Chamber of Commerce. And the business roundtable weighing in, insisting that uh, we need to get rid of these tariffs, we need to get back to engagement. And um, I must say, somewhat heartened that the trade representative uh, yesterday, Kathleen Tsai, uh, did not go there. Um, But it does seem as though the administration uh, is opening the door to greater um, expansion of, of waivers that would enable... Uh, some of this business to go forward. Uh, They've they've also permitted, notably Huawei, to get back into business with some of our chip manufacturers. And I have the feeling that's the leading edge of a a bigger effort in this regard. Uh, So where would this lead us if we wound up once again, uh, throwing in with China, um, you know, uh, relying even more heavily, perhaps, as uh, uh, your gal Ilan Omar, um, representative from Minnesota, would have us do uh, with Chinese supplies of lithium and batteries and the like for the Green New Deal. It, this would seem to be to be uh, a formula for disaster, really, for our country. Do you see it that way as well?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it it defies all logic to pursue a policy of making yourself essentially in the most strategically significant areas right down to the generic medicines that we would use to make your country reliant on its greatest adversary in the most fundamental areas, whether, again, that's pharmaceuticals, whether that's weapons manufacturing to fight wars, a whole slew of areas, obviously fifth generation telecommunications infrastructure and well beyond. Would China ever do such a thing? Would it make itself reliant on America? Of course not. And in fact, interestingly, China hawks in America, we talk about decoupling from Communist China. Communist China is talking about decoupling from us, they want to have onshore all of the capabilities that they need. To shut off the spigots to anything and everything that we might wish to use so when when china talks about they they decry americans for talking about decoupling well at home they're talking about a conscious policy of decoupling ultimately themselves and i think you make a great point that there is there's the appearance at least of an incoherence of the biden administration with respect to this because on the one hand you have the commerce secretary saying we need to increase engagement and to your point The Chamber of Commerce and a variety of other leading industry lobbies have come out pressing the administration to reopen up engagement and, of course, try to get over the tariffs as soon as possible. On the other hand, as you said, you have the U.S. Trade Representative saying we're not going to immediately pull off those tariffs. Uh, But all of that said, I think what it creates, and as you noted also, they have re-upped this sort of waivers program to allow companies to get around certain tariffs. So I think it creates the appearance of strategic incoherence, but I think in reality it is a political decision, which is of course you have the representative of business advocating for business in the US federal government, and you have a trade rep who appears to be hard-nosed. But over the long run, this coherence basically indicates that we don't have a consistent policy of seeking to decouple as best as we can. We don't see a conscious effort of the administration to say, China needs to be out of our capital markets, period, full stop. It does appear that the clock is ticking on delisting Chinese companies, but I fear that the administration knows how politically bad it will look to go right back to the relationship we had with communist China. So they create the appearance of seeking to be tough on the one hand, on trade at least, while on the other hand, talking about opening up engagement, And I think they are trying to lull the American people to sleep on this, ultimately. That's my assessment of the situation. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they prove to be tough. I hope they keep the tariffs in place. I hope they increase the tariffs. But ultimately, I don't think it will play out that way.
1: Yeah, And to the extent you're right that there's a clock ticking on delisting Chinese companies in our capital markets, I'm I'm afraid that uh, the clock is very slow. (laughs) There will be um, maybe three years, uh, and a lot of things have to sort of align in order for that to happen which is ridiculous, it seems to me, especially since, as you said, and, and uh, Captain Jim Finell did earlier in the program, Ben, we're talking about that money going directly into the coffers of the Chinese Communist Party and its People's Liberation Army in many cases. And this is, uh, this is as you put it, uh, greed-induced insanity in your Newsweek piece uh, back in August, which I really commend to our audience. Let me um, turn to another agenda of... Uh, Ilan Omar. And again, your book about American ingrate uh, was such a powerful indictment of this woman and her agenda. Um, you follow very closely international affairs uh, in the Middle East, Ben Weingarten. Talk to us about what Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and others on the progressive or radical Marxist left uh, were able to do at least Briefly, with respect to American support for the replenishment of the component parts, the ammunition, what have you, of the Iron Dome anti-rocket defense system of Israel, um, right in the midst, initially at least, of, uh, of some incomings from Hamas against which this thing has proven to be absolutely necessary and and highly effective.
0: Well, I think you could make a case that, in effect, they provided material support to terrorists <laughs> at, at its highest level. Um, and let's let's be very clear, and, and your audience is well aware of this, but Iron Dome serves numerous strategic purposes for the benefit of American national interest. Leave aside the fact, of course, that Israel is our closest ally in the region. There are historical ties, there are legal ties. There are, of course, ties of morals and values and interests beyond that. And not, not the least of which, of course, is Israel is standing on the front line of a war with jihadists, a global war that jihadists wage against the West. And that is the front line defense of the Western civilization from jihadists. And of course, all the intelligence that Israel provides the, the burgeoning partnership that Israel has with a slew of Sunni Arab nations, which of course redounds to America's interest in combating Iran. Set all that aside, Iron Dome also serves American national interests directly because it is essentially a technology sharing program. These are weapon systems that America uses, that America can sell to other allies and partners as well. So Iron Dome is squarely within America's national interest, as opposed to the billions of dollars that we throw at all manner of regressive regimes that ultimately serve no purpose for America. So of course it defines and it illustrates the, the Jew hatred of the regressive left targeting Israel above all other countries. On its face, it's an absurdity. I think of course at a practical level This would have potentially imperiled the lives of the entire of really the entire Jewish state, period, full stop. And what I tried to argue in that book, American Ingrid, was that the cave of democratic leadership to namely Ilhan Omar, with respect to her clearly anti-Semitic comments and even more importantly, perhaps the regressive agenda that she that she supports, her links, ties, and coordination with all manner of Islamists, anti-American Islamists, foreign and domestic, showed that this is where the party was going. This is where the power, the energy in the party was. And look, the fact that we're talking about a comptroller of a currency who is almost literally a card-carrying communist, I think tells you all you need to know about the fact that this is where the left was going and this is where the left is. And so I hope my book proved prescient, if anything, it's sort of ahead of schedule, even the extent to which the party has become hostage to its so-called progressive left wing, an anti-American wing, not just anti-Israeli, but anti-American and anti-Western wing of its party.
1: It certainly was prescient. And as your writing often is, Ben, you're looking over the horizon and I think seeing the sorts of things that are headed our way and warning about them. And uh, shame on us that we're not uh, taking them more to heart oftentimes and. Uh, trying what we can do to uh, stave them off. Um, speaking of which, let me just ask you about another um, terrorism angle uh, that I know you're following. Um, the Department of Justice has apparently now uh, denounced people who are opposing uh, this so-called uh, critical race theory. I, I call it communist racist training, another CRT acronym. But i um, what is the Department of Justice saying at this point, uh, Ben, and and what are the implications of it for, um, well, uh, the instruction, the indoctrination, the brainwashing of our kids, of our military, of our government uh, employees and, and others um, in this, uh, well, as you say, anti-American doctrine?
0: The, the DOJ has been lobbied by at least one education group to try to cast those who are challenging the CRT, CRT orthodoxy, that many, including, of course, the largest teachers union in the country, support imposing in public schools across the country. Uh, I call CRT racial Marxism. That, that's how I would sort of define it. And this education group has lo- lobbied the DOJ, claiming that there were threats to the safety of teachers as a consequence of the backlash against CRT. And now the DOJ has responded. The Attorney General. Merrick Garland put out a letter saying in recent months, there's been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. And these threats, of course, never cited, no specifics, no documentation on it, apparently are now going to occupy the time of the DOJ. The DOJ is going to seek to prosecute people. And this education group was seeking to classify critics as domestic terrorists protesters against critical race theory. And I see this as part of a much broader uh, rubric of areas where those who disagree with the official narrative on any number of issues that are critical to the ruling class seeking to impose its regime on us are now being cast as potential threats. It's either under public safety or public health. And I've been writing about this really since the week after January 6th, that there would be a domestic war on wrongthink. Undertaken again under the guise of public health and public safety, so we have seen the federal government, and this is through Homeland Security and others try to cast those who question. COVID night Chinese coronavirus policies as potential domestic threats those who question the integrity of the 2020 election and perhaps beyond as domestic threats, and now we see it in terms of questioning dissenting from the orthodoxy on critical race theory, this is a hugely disturbing rubicon that we are fast crossing and you could see the makings of it in RussiaGate and the attempt to use the national security and intelligence apparatus sick it on president trump and those around him as well but now it's extended to millions of followers as well
1: we appreciate very much Ben your time as well as your great work um at newsweek and elsewhere come back to us again soon if you would i hope the rest of you will do the same again tomorrow same time same station until you've we, been this listening is to secure freedom listening.
0: radio with frank gaffney